0: We're going to deal with two tonight. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn. Um, someone had asked me during the week, "How come we're using Matthew and not Luke's?" Um, no reason. I, I, my, the main reason I would choose Matthew over Luke on on a beatitude study is because matthew was writing it from the jewish understanding luke was writing it from a gentile understanding and so they might have heard the same thing but listened with different ears and um for example luke has blessed are the poor period and luke spends much more time talking about possessions material money just the nature of his gospel. Um, I've always had this little theory that I've made up in my little brain about Luke. Um, You know, we always say he was a physician, and he was a physician because he's the one that said Peter's mother-in-law had a uh, fever. Oh, he must be a doctor. Okay, good to know. Um, So we're all doctors. There you go. But I've always figured because he had such an emphasis on money and possessions and stuff i've always wondered that in the story of the rich young man because luke doesn't call it the rich young ruler by the way he's a rich young man i've always wondered whether that wasn't luke that what luke had to deal with the most was leaving his stuff and um so in my brain i always just i just think when i read that story that's Luke, man. Boom, and he dealt with it, and that's why he focuses on what his biggest weakness was. And so, but anyhow, I do Matthew because it's a much—it's a Jewish. He's writing for a Jewish audience, and I—if you're in church ever, you, you know—I just think you have to understand first century and what Jesus was raised in and raised with before you can understand anything Jesus taught. I I do not believe it is possible to get the understanding of the gospel um, and especially the Sermon on the Mount unless you understand the first century culture and you understand the Jewish traditions and the Jewish understanding of how they looked at things. And I think anyone who tries to understand it apart from that has a really good opportunity to be way off base my opinion. And like I say is you don't have to believe me. It's just my opinion. You pay me and I give you my opinion. And if you don't like it, uh, um, yeah. So I, I used to be more hesitant <laughs> giving my opinion. And uh, when I was right out of school and Bishop John Wesley Hart, I was telling this story to someone the other day. I think Matt, was I telling you the story? Yeah, I was just like this young, like, and I, I got this move to Beaumont And it was a huge jump, Uh, not only in salary, but in churches. I went from a staff of, you know, we would have Christmas party. It would be like three of us. It was great. Uh, Buying staff dinners was easy. Staff Christmas parties were like, the gifts were really, okay, let's exchange $50 gift cards or whatever. And uh, then I moved to Wesley, and I bypassed like this whole level of churches. Also, I had associate, full-time this, full-time that. And, and so I was just a little nervous, and I'd um, and heard a lot of things about Wesley, and they were going through a really rough time. And so I'm at annual conference, and I'm sitting, this was an annual conference at First Church downtown, and I'm sitting underneath, we, we called it the Wrightfield field bleachers. Um, I'm sitting underneath the, the bleachers, and uh, this older gentleman comes and sits next to me, and I didn't know who he was. Um, no clue. I looked over and I realized he was a bishop of some sort because he had the bishop thing on his lapel, <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking, okay, so there's a bishop sitting next to me, and he puts his hand on my knee and taps my knee and says, "Marty, I hear you're going to Beaumont." Y- y- "Yes, yes, sir, I'm I'm going to Beaumont," and uh, he said, "That's a it's a good place. You, you're going to like Beaumont. I I came out of First Church Beaumont down to the episcopacy and." And I'm going to tell you the secret. And I'm like, okay. Bishop's tell me the secret. I'm in, man. And he said, he said my first Sunday at, at First Methodist Church Beaumont, I was up in that pulpit. And those of you have been in that church, it's a high pulpit. And he actually preached from the pulpit. Um, I was up in that pulpit. I looked right over that pulpit. And I looked those people right in the eye. And I said, I am your pastor. And we're going to do things my way. And if you don't like it, there's a whole lot of churches in this annual conference I have yet to serve. And he said, that's what you do. And so that's when I started giving my opinion, because there's a whole lot of churches in this annual conference I have yet to serve. I, there's 700 and some churches they can still appoint me to. So anyhow, all of that to say, um, how many have seen the movie The Right Stuff? Anybody see the movie The Right Stuff? It's... Yeah, it's an old movie, way back, way back movie. Um, some of you weren't even born. Um, and then some of you, I guess everybody was born, right? Let's see. Uh, yeah, Kay, you were born. You, you were born when the Orville, you were, you were there when the Wright brothers. There you go. Um, so, but this movie, the, the one of the gist of this movie is they were trying to break the sound barrier, Right. And, and whenever they would get there at 753 miles, 735 miles per hour, they would, uh, the, the, the planes would, would disintegrate or crash, generally just crash, and they couldn't figure this out, right? And so one pilot, um, and I don't remember which one it was, um, probably John Glenn, I don't know, uh, kept watching this, and he finally figured something out. He figured out, and I don't know how he did it because it's way over my head, but he figured out that when you hit, for some reason, the speed of sound, you had to do things backward with the control. So if you wanted the nose of the plane uh, to go up before the speed of sound, you would push the stick back, uh, and, and it would raise the nose, and the, the plane would go downward, right? So this guy figured, I just got to do everything opposite. I've got to turn everyth- all my thinking upside down and inside out, and so, instead of so, so when he hit the desired speed, instead of pulling the stick back, he pushed it forward. It didn't go down; instead, it went up, and and so the fl- the plane didn't crash. And I use that analogy because that's what Jesus did in the Beatitudes and on the Sermon on the Mount. Everything we knew of the first century, the world of the first century, everything they knew, everything they count on. Speed of sound. Jesus flipped it all upside down, and he started with the beatitudes. I mean, right there, it just blew people up. I am sure there were people in that crowd when he started the beatitudes who got up and left because they were angry at the preacher. I, I really, I, I believe that. Um, we often think of the beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus having this private conversation with the twelve disciples. And I've read preachers who have said that, and I don't know where they get that, uh, because there were probably hundreds or thousands of people gathered on this mountainside, and we were supposed to have pictures of it, uh, but someone forgot to send them to me. And so, because uh, it, it's, it's huge. Oh, I thought maybe he put one up. That's not it. That's just a mountain map found that looked cool. And so we went to that. Um, But Cindy Kirkendall, when she went to um, the Holy Land, has great pictures of the the mount. And she was going to send them. She emailed me today, said, oops. Um, I said, okay, we really didn't need them. Um, So, but it was the beginning of the revolution. And the revolution being turning things upside down. So. We talked a little bit last week. I got to review a little bit. People might not have been here because if you don't get this, you don't get it. You don't you won't you won't be with me. And, and this is where I disagree with probably 90 percent of the preachers who are preaching in pulpits today. And, and like I said last week, if you believe me, fine. If you want to do your own thing, go ahead. Um, I'm not saying you're right or I'm right. I'm just saying my understanding, because I studied first century Judaism uh, a lot. I've spent a lot of time trying to grasp it. In, in the Jesus day, there were two types of Jewish blessings. Okay? There was the first that would offer some sort of instruction. Something like, if you do this, if you live this way, then you'll have a good life and you'll be blessed. There was a blessing that was, it was a reward system, if you will. It was conditional, if you will. Do that action and get this reward. Okay, that was one blessing, that was a standard Jewish blessing. However, there was a second blessing, which was the blessing. And the blessing on the second one would come out of nowhere generally, and it would be this announcement that would flip the way of the world upside down, is how Jesus used it. The blessing... The first Jewish blessing was given to who? Someone say Abraham. Good answer, Abraham. Um, Write with me. God, remember the Abraham blessing? When God said, "I I will be your God and you will have more descendants than stars in the heavens, sand in the desert. You know, right? That's the blessing. What Abraham was told by God is, no matter where you go, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm there. And so the, that was an announcement. It wasn't an instruction. God didn't say, Abraham, if you do this, 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 then you're going to be blessed. God just said, I am your God. That's the Jewish blessing. And that's an important distinction, I think. At least it is for me. And so what Jesus did is he made an announcement. Now, this is what I believe, that the Beatitudes are not teachings. They do not say, try hard to live like this. They are an announcement of a new covenant that God is establishing and what the kingdom of God is. And for Jesus, he was saying the kingdom of God is here, right here, right now in me. Didn't we preach that a couple of weeks ago? That whole eschatology word, remember that? Here's the difference. If you read the Gospels, you have John the Baptist and you have Jesus. Remember those two guys? Two similar but incredibly different messages, Right? John the Baptist said, repent why? Because the kingdom of God is coming. Right? John the Baptist. Repent, kingdom of God's coming. Jesus came and said, no 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 no. Repent because the kingdom of God is here. The beatitudes are the announcement to the first century world that the kingdom of God is present in your midst right here, right now, and you got to grab hold of that. And if you don't look at it that way, I, I think you miss the richness of the, um, of the Beatitudes. And then you'll start looking at them as instructions. and they, it, And you can try to convince me, I had other people try to convince me that I'm wrong, And I just, I I can't see it any other way anymore. Now, you'll be glad to know, back when I was in Bullard, I preached on uh, Beatitudes, and I read those sermons, and I deleted them, um, because I went with the, these are how we're supposed to live, and it makes no sense to me anymore. So, um, remember, if you have a question, just blurt it out, by the way. Yeah, except for Graham. Anyone else have a question? What? Go ahead. No, you're allowed one question. Okay. They made such a big thing about the blessing uh with the Jacob. Yeah, you know, the son and they thought, you know, they falsified it by Jacob and Esau. Uh huh. He received, well, because that was a blessing, that was an Abrahamic blessing of the one who would lead the people. And, and it, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob should have been Esau. And then Esau, it, it was a huge deal. It was enough to where Esau was going to kill him. And then Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of chili. And, you know, uh, excuse me, red bean soup, stew. I'm not even from Texas. And I know that has to be chili. I I just go with what the Bible says. It describes it as red bean stew. The only red bean stew I know, it ain't spaghetti gravy. Because there ain't no beans in gravy. Well, they're not from Texas. They were from that land. Okay, so you also have to know then... Is If there's two types of blessings, and I'm buying that this is the second type of blessing, we went over last week, the people who had gathered, there were probably, well, there were, not probably, there were Jews, because it was in the Jewish territory, but it was also surrounded by the Decapolis, which are ten uh, Gentile Greek cities. So there were Greeks, there were free there were slave, there were the religious leaders, but mostly the people following Jesus were not the cream of the crop, the best of the best. They were the people generally on the outside margins. Why? Because no other rabbi would talk to them, approach them, teach them, touch them, except Jesus. Remember, one of the things that got Jesus in trouble was who he hung out with and who he touched. And, and religious leaders freaked out. And so the people who would follow him would not be the religious leaders. So those people heard and I remember 5th chapter of Matthew, by then Jesus had already done some healings. You know, word was out. And it traveled. And people came. I'm sure people came, some people came to hear him preach. I'm sure a lot of people came to, um, for healing, because that's what he was. So that's the situation. That's the crowd. That's where we are. And to that, Jesus starts off with the craziest statement he could make Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, Is the kingdom of god now if you're a first century person and you hear that one or two things well probably three you're either getting up and walking out because you think this guy has lost his mind because what's good about being poor right What, what are you talking about or you're really angry because you're a religious leader And he just blew you away because he went against everything the Torah said. Or you were someone on the margin and for the first time in your life you felt like you mattered. I believe most of the people there for the first time in their life believe that they mattered. Because Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, what you're going to hear, other preachers, not me, sorry, um, and I checked this out. I read a bunch of sermons, uh, getting ready for this, um, that are online. And, and I finally texted Richard today. I said, I must just be a freak. Because I'm the only, <laughs> no other, everybody else goes this way. So I'm probably wrong. Theologian. Huh? There's a theologian yeah. He theologian. Yeah, he was. We'll yeah, huh? Nope. Cuz I I read two of his things in seminary. Yeah. That's right. Real close. But the one that gets closest, is Yep. Yep. Okay, I didn't know that one. There you go. But, but his understanding is similar. But I didn't read any of his sermons today. So uh, here's what most preachers are going to say. Somehow poor in spirit has been interpreted to be those who are humble and those who recognize their need for God. So the way most people are going to interpret it, and you're fine if you do this i 'm fine with that. Blessed are those who know how much they need God. but the problem I have with that is all of a sudden that 's like a reward that's like that 's like saying, Hey, you are really cool because you know you need god there's like this this one upmanship of spiritual humility and it's it's like when I don't know how many people have ever read this in the Old Testament, but it's one of my favorite lines. And it's my proof text that says, Moses did not write the first five books of the Bible. Okay? I have two reasons why I can tell you, Moses did not write the first five books of the Bible. Reason number one, he died before they were finished. Uh, That would be one reason. Reason number two, there's a line in, in, in the books that says in Exodus, Moses was the most humble man alive. Now, if you're writing you would lose your humble man alive reward if you admitted that you were the humble most humble man alive because no longer you're that humble. Right? I mean right? And and so anyhow, so when when I read it this way, Blessed are poor in spirit are those who are the most humble. Well, once you admit that you are this spiritual filled with humility, you've lost your humility and you're not humble anymore. You're now bragging. And so I can't imagine Jesus would say, those of you blessed are you Um, happy are you who are no longer humble but are now full of yourself because you think you're so spiritual. That's just my opinion. And when you use it that way, it is no longer grace. It is no longer an announcement. It is a condition. If you are humble, then you will be blessed. I'm sorry. Grace says you can't earn it. And I am a grace person to the bitter end. Anybody want to argue with me on this? This would be great. I would love it. <laughs> no, I'm going really to because I, I, it, it just, it's an understanding that I have come to struggle struggling. Huh? No, it doesn't mean self-doubt. When Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor in the Spirit. Poor Spirit. Blessed are you who are what he is saying is, those of you who are losers, those of you who are zeros, those of you who have been so long on the margins that you have lost your humanity, your dignity, your value, right? That's what he's saying, because that's who he's speaking to. I share, well, last week I shared with you, and Richard agreed, the hardest thing to do is to preach to a congregation you don't know, because you don't know what they need. Jesus knew what these people needed. And my belief with every ounce of my being is that poor in spirit is not some characteristic we should strive for. It is not a positive trait. We should not walk around and say, I am working hard to be poor in spirit. It means means you acknowledge, you know that you are a spiritual loser. The moral zeros. The, 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 the people who God had no reason to bless in the, at all. Bless are you. Which, by the way, in my theology, would be each and every one of us. Those people who are rich in spirit are the ones who look down at the people who are poor in spirit. The rich in spirit are the ones who say, you can always tell, rich in spirit people you hear someone say those people that person is not poor in spirit because you automatically put yourself above those people those people is a way of saying those those, those people i mean right we all use it I, I i catch myself and i just can't stand when it slips out my mouth i have to go work with those people but, but not in a humility sense, in a in the yes, yeah, and I don't have a problem with that, because these are the people who are on the margins. These were the, the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the lepers. I mean, these were the... And I, the only word I know to use, these are the losers. They were, they, they were what I was in seventh grade. The last one picked for every sport in PE. Right? Anybody else last one picked? Right? You're the last one picked... You understand poor in spirit. You get it because it is the most humiliating thing. And no one says, gee, one day I want to be the last one picked. Yes, sir. yeah but but with Wesley what you got to understand Graham is Wesley didn't want to do that uh, John Wesley was not woohoo I'm going to go preach to the miners Whitfield had to talk him into it and guilt him into it and guilted him into it and and even then when Wesley first started preaching he he. Into the field mind, he still used the book of worship. Uh, He still had the Anglican, excuse me, Church of England, book of worship or common book of prayer, whatever you want to call it. And he was still using it until finally Whitfield said, you know, hey, John, these are uneducated. Put the book away. And then what happened to John, just so you know, once he stopped using the book of worship, then the Anglican church said, you're banned from coming here. So it was kind of one of those things. It was a, I feel bad for him. But he would understand it, okay? So, these were, in my way, my understanding, these were the people who were not the religious leaders, not the ones who everyone in the first century believed they should have received the blessing. These were the outcasts, those people, my opinion, which isn't far from you. As long as we don't think that's a good thing. And to them, Jesus said, blessed are you. We talked about blessing. Greek word for blessing, and this is why it happens. Greek word for blessing is marcos, and it's translated to me fortunate or happy, which is why the Common English Bible, which is a Bible I love, happy are you, and I just cringe. And one day I'm just going to write them an email, and say, where do you come up with that? Because, I can't, and I'm, we're going to talk about this later. Frederick Buechner is my theologian. And what he says, and this is where I learned it. When Jesus offered the blessing, just like when God offered the blessing to Abraham, what he is saying is, I am with you. And um, the, uh, the um, translation that I use is... <laughs> I am on your side. And there's a reason why I use that one. We'll get into that in the next beatitude. And what Jesus is telling the poor in spirit, the depraved, the morally bankrupt, the spiritual zeros, is that God hasn't forgotten them. But you were. But you were except for, because the only people who wouldn't have felt like losers would be the Pharisees and the religious leaders because they had it all together. See, and what they were doing, this is why right after the Beatitudes, Jesus starts talking about all these things and then he starts talking about when you pray, when you fast, when you give, don't do like the Fairs don't do like religious leaders do, because they're calling attention to themselves. And they did. I mean, they were good. We always think these Pharisees were bad people. They were religious, following the letter of the law people. And and so when they when they got but they held it over everybody's head, ha ha, I'm better than you. So when your preacher keeps telling you I'm better than you, you start believing you're a morally bankrupt loser. You're no good. You're on the margins. And that's what was happening. So everyone in that crowd, except for the religious leaders, and Which is why you, J- Jesus wasn't very popular with the, those people, the religious leaders. Understand, Jesus did not die over theology. Jesus died over power. He, took, he was taking the power away from the religious leaders of the day and giving it to the normal broken people. We are all broken people. Uh, we are. And so to us Jesus says when you feel most morally bankrupt when when you feel like n- no value no wor- when when you have sinned to a point to where you feel God can never love you, right? When you when you have just strayed so far away, whatever it is, whatever's making you feel like you are so far from God, right? Jesus says to you, "Blessed are you" God is on your side. God hasn't forgotten you. And, and the kingdom of God is yours. Not then, now. Understand, Jewish thought, the, their idea of eternity, eternal life, was really different than ours. Which is why in the story of Job, Job had to be rewarded before he died. Everything had to be restored to him before he died because that was the kingdom. That was the idea of the kingdom. So so Jesus is not saying this is how you get God's blessing by being poor. Spirit. He begins the blessing, begins the sermon out with the most revolutionary announcement that God is on the side of everybody who there is no reason why God should be on their side. And if I'm correct in my understanding, then he just made a bunch of enemies with the, with the people and religious power because they all got it. And to me, that's the grace thing that Jesus came for. Um, what was going on, friend, was the religious leaders believed they were entitled. They had special favor with God. And Jesus said, "Mm, no, you don't. These people have special favor with God because they're poor in spirit. Yes, sir. Abraham covenant? No. Abraham covenant just had to do with um, obedience and taking a step of faith. And, but remember, remember the key of Abraham's covenant was not about Abraham. That's what we forget if we want to talk about Abraham. Not about Abraham, right, Denise? The Abrahamic covenant that God made, you learned this in seminary, was not about Abraham. It was about Abraham being a blessing to the rest of the world. Okay. okay. Not that I agree with that, but okay, we will. Well, not that's the Abrahamic blessing. Okay. 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 Yes. Yes. Yeah, but I want to defend the Pharisees for a second. Because it's the way the law was written. Since nobody in here likes Leviticus, and I get booed whenever I say I want to preach from Leviticus, it was a Leviticus law, right? Okay, if Pat sinned, the only way she could find atonement was to kill an animal. If it was a big sin, she had to kill a bigger animal. I mean... And, and so there were these levels in the law and, and the way it began interpreted and where, what, what, what the Pharisees did is they just, my opinion, they just kept making it more and more difficult for the average person who was trying to live their life to be righteous. It, yeah, it just made it, because, because look at it this way. If you're working 70 hours a week Do you really have time to do every law that the law says that the Pharisees added? Remember, 614 of them later added. It had nothing to do with what God said. I mean, it's amazing. It's just like, well, what normal person can live their life rough, barely making a by, and then say, oh, yeah. I." And so they just made this unattainable level. Excuse me? Be well with you in the land. Yes. Yes. It's supposed to be a blessing. But we turn the law into a negative. I mean, I understand, Ten Commandments were the greatest gift God gave. They have an incredible gift. I mean, and we we, we read it and say, oh, thou shalt not. How boring. It's an incredible gift. The law was an incredible Leviticus. Leviticus is an incredible book because it is just full of grace. And, and we miss it because we just read about the slaughter of animals or something. So um, one day, when, when I, here's what I'm going to do. When I find out I'm moving, I'm preaching Leviticus. <laughs> hey, Matt, Matt, you think we can do good liturgy around Leviticus? Okay, good. <laughs> I, I do not think there is a hymn in the hymnal based on verses from Leviticus. Is there? Matt? Look it up. Let me know tomorrow. Get back with me on that. Uh, (laughs) Jesus, Jesus, the most important book to a Jewish person in Jesus' day was not Exodus, not Genesis, not Numbers, not Deuteronomy, not Isaiah, Leviticus. It was everything. Everything. Everything that Jesus was about finds its roots in Leviticus. Sorry. People just would revolt. Maybe I'll do it in July when no one comes to church anyhow. (laughs) (laughs) Jill threatened not to come. But that's for all the, never mind. Okay, any questions on bless are the poor in spirit? You guys got me way off. I think you should go home and read Leviticus. We're just calling book canon in the beatitudes. We're doing Leviticus. Yeah. why if he didn't God didn't really approve of behavior did he create called Well, because because just like the church, Graham, Graham, just like the church, God created the church and he doesn't like half the things we do. I mean, it, and anybody read, now that I'll mention Leviticus, anybody read uh, Minor Prophets at all? You know, that's God slamming the church he created for missing the point, right? I, I think it's Amos that says something like, paraphrase, Marty's paraphrase, uh, something like, "How dare you come and worship me, and walk past the widows and the aliens and the orphans as if they don't even exist?" See, that's God pretty hacked off at the church he that he that he created. I mean, it goes back to that whole free will thing, which which is why I'm not Calvinist. Huh? There you go. Holy is the Lord. Woohoo! We got it. However, I could argue that that comes out of Revelation as well. Because uh, <laughs> holy, holy, holy comes out. Okay, blessed are those who mourn, right? Now, this is my. I giggle. Matt, did you giggle over these at all? Really? Just a little? I busted out laughing. I called Jill to try to explain it to her. It doesn't translate well over the phone. Um, Okay, everybody heard of a paradox? Everybody knows what a paradox is? A paradox, I had to look it up, just make sure I got it right. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated proves to be well-founded or true. With me? Right? They seem absurd. Okay, I found some fun paradoxes or paradise. Uh, giorno. it's not delivery it's giorno. the problem with that is it's being delivered no one else got that one okay maybe they're not as funny as I thought okay this is one the epic paradox if he says it will grow but it doesn't he's lying but it grows when he lies so he'll be telling the truth but his nose still grew while he told the truth that's a paradox right seemingly untrue but really is true I don't even have to answer that one. (laughs) I mean, that's a paradox. And then my favorite, though, the buttered cat paradox. Now, you can't read it, but you got to Google the buttered cat paradox. This is, this is, Bob, this is an engineer nightmare, okay? Because the buttered cat, the buttered cat paradox says this. A cat always lands on its feet, right? There's a proverb, not a biblical proverb, that says toast will always land how? Butterside. butterside down. So when you put a piece of toast on the back of a cat, butterside up, and you drop the cat, what is he going to do based on those two laws? He's going to float. <laughs> oh, come on, that is a scream. I mean, that, I just, Matt, you didn't find that funny at all? Okay, I just thought it was funny. All right, so here's where I make my point about the word blessing, okay? If we translate blessed to be happy, if we say Jesus is really saying happy are you, right? Right? we're going to have a huge paradox because this one would say, happy are you who mourn. I am not the brightest bulb on the tree, but I have a hard time happy mourn. That would be a really bizarre God who said, man, you guys are going to be so happy that you're upset. I mean, no one else gets that. And, and which is my argument that it can't mean happy because otherwise Jesus has lost his mind. And people would say, huh? Wait a second. So I'm happy when I'm crying? So someone dies and I'm happy? Jesus, this makes no sense. Now, what... Um, Jesus is talking to a mishmash of people. And this is what I, the second part of what I try to prove to myself is that Jesus isn't telling you how to live. Okay, you can make the argument, he's telling you be poor in spirit, be full of humility. I do not believe Jesus is saying to you, you who are followers of mine, go around being mourning and sad. In fact, Nietzsche said... <laughs> If you want me to believe in God, at least look like you believe in him as well. In other words, don't look so miserable. Well, according to the Beatitude, happy are you who mourn. I want you to live like mourning. There's there's a problem with that in my estimation. So maybe he's not trying to give you an instruction on how you're supposed to live or a characteristic you're supposed to have. Maybe he is saying, those of you who mourn, God is on your side. And you will be comforted. Now, if you're one of those people on that hillside and you hear those words, wow. Because no one's ever told him that. Insane. So, now, I read sermons today trying to find one preacher who bought into what I believe. Here's how many preachers define this mourning. People who want to tell me that Jesus is saying this is how I should live, mourning, right? As something to be desired, they say, you can Google sermons about it if you want, the common theme seems to be that they believe that I am supposed to be mourning. look at the world and mourn the sin that I see in the world. Okay? I have no problem with that. I have preached it that what breaks God's heart should break our heart, right? I've, I've used that very phrase. I check to make sure. Here's my problem with it on the Sermon on the Mount. Do you really think in the first century to a bunch of mishmash, out on the margins, people who are struggling to just survive, people who have no value, people who have no worth, who are spiritually bankrupt, morally bankrupt and spiritually depleted, do you really think Jesus' words of encouragement would be, happy are you when you look at the world and you say how much it sucks? I mean, is that going to make any of you feel better? Or are you just going to scratch your head like I did and say, huh? Which is why I go back to what I think. I think Jesus is not giving a lesson on how we should be, he is telling us an announcement. Those of you who are mourning, grief-stricken, broken, just miserable, God hasn't forgotten you. And it has nothing to do with death and eternal life. First century Jewish people would have not bought into that. Now. Right here, right now, show me the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is saying. Right here, right now, those of you who are mourning, those of you who are broken, those of you who are just grief stricken, those of you who have just cried yourself to sleep every single night, those of you who understand what I mean when I say you will know trouble, the, to you, to you, god has not forgotten you god is on your side now if you hear that and you're on the hillside then you hear you shall be comforted you are not thinking you're going to just be comforted somewhere when you die now so we're going to talk about i want to first talk about the morning jesus understood what it was like to be human to be part of community and what he was this is by according to me what he was saying in this is, you know that Simon Garfunkel song, um, I am a rock, I'm an island, and an island feels no pain and a rock never cries? is that how it goes? I am a rock. No, it's a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. Matt, am I right? Sing it. Man, you are not enthused tonight. <laughs> He's there. Matt. You know, I just, Matt is such a sport um, because Matt has these long days on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and he's, he volunteered to stay and take care of everything and now he won't sing for me. But what, what, what Jesus is saying is, if you are human, you are part of a community, therefore you cannot live the Simon and Garfunkel song. There are no rocks, there are no islands. What Jesus understood is to be fully human means to live with our hearts wide open. Willing to give and receive love. But in really living and really loving, we're also opening ourselves up to moments and times of sadness and mourning. So Jesus was acknowledging, if you're a human and you're in a community and you're in relationships, you know what? There's going to be moments where your heart is absolutely broken. When the things or people that we love are no longer in our lives, we're going to be sad. But if we live our lives trying to protect ourselves from pain and sorrow, we won't be in community and we're really just the walking dead, to use my zombie metaphor. There's a priest, and I don't know how many of you have ever heard of him. It's a great story break your heart story. Father Damien, he was a Catholic priest in the late 1800s and he was a missionary to a leper colony for 13 years. And he eventually contracted the disease and and he realized he contracted it one morning, he spilled boiling water on his foot and he didn't feel anything. All right? Because what leprosy does is just takes away you have no feeling. Yeah. You can't feel pain. You can't feel anything. And what he knew at that moment is that he had leprosy. um, And being unable, this is the key, being unable to feel pain was a clue that death had come to his body. And eventually would take possession of it. And when you read his story, he wrote how much more he would have liked to have felt the pain of the boiling water. Because in feeling pain, he would have known he was fully alive. When we close ourselves off to feeling pain and the loss of loved ones or of others, then we have died. And Jesus says, if you're living, if you're human, if you're part of a community, that's what it's about. If you don't know Father Damien, then you surely know um the Tin Man, Wizard of Oz. One at a heart. Right? That was that's what he wanted. And uh, he got the heart on the journey and he learned how to love his companions and they shared these adventures. But when it was over and Dorothy was going home, remember what Tin man said? He began to cry. Oh, don't cry, get rusty, whatever. And he said this, and this is the key. Now I know that I have a heart because it is breaking. And Jesus says, we are most alive When our hearts are breaking because we feel life because it is part of what it means to be in community in relationship those of you who have buried a spouse buried a child buried a parent you understand exactly what that means it would not bother you if you were not in a relationship with that person So I think there's the other message of this which fits into my theology conveniently enough um, is that what Jesus is also reminding us is we are not alone. We are in community. We were created to be in community because we can't mourn by ourselves. Because who did he teach this to? To a community that had gathered. They were not private lessons. They were given to a community to hear Jesus speak we mourn together in community, we share in community, we embrace one another, and that's where we begin to find comfort. And in finding comfort from one another in the community, this beatitude becomes true. For you shall be comforted. Am I right? Am I wrong on any of that? I don't think it has anything to do with the sins of the world. I think Jesus was talking to the most basic human emotion that every one of us experiences. When someone we love goes through something we can't fix or help, and we have to stand by and watch it happen. Um, but then the next question, what is this comfort, right? Right? Jesus says, blessed are you, God is on your side when you mourn. Those of you who are mourning, those of you who are broken, God is on your side, but you will be comforted. The word Jesus used, or Matthew used for comfort, comes from the Greek parakaleo, which means to come alongside. Now, okay, I want you to stay with me, right? that's why i like the idea of the blessing that says not i am with you but god saying i am on your side because it fits with the 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 whole this whole idea of the of the of of, of coming along beside you like a friend who joins you in a time of trouble but it goes deeper than that um, if, you, if you dig on the Gospel of John, like I do, um, John talks about again and again and again this idea. But what John does is he takes the verb um, to come alongside and he changes it to a noun. Right? And it's the only place you're going to find this in the, in the Gospels, in the Bible. John fourteen sixteen. there's about three of them. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. John fifteen twenty six. But when the helper comes, whom shall I send to you from the Father? The spirit of truth proceeds from the Father. He will testify me. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The word helper here is translated from the Greek Parakletos, which is... The one who comes alongside. John uses it. John is the only one that uses it. it, it, it it's often translated, I think, poorly advocate. I, I think that's a poor translation. Better trans- comforter or counselor. And I love the idea of counselor. Because a counselor is someone who walks with you through your pain. If you've ever been to counseling, they walk with you as you go through your journey. It's what they do, and I love the word counselor on that. Um, it's so I think it fits, and it it is a noun now. So what John, what what Jesus is saying is okay. This this is the beauty of the way my brain works. Some of you get frustrated, but I, this is what I love about it. Is God Jesus is saying God is on your side when you mourn, and oh yeah, by the way. He's the one that's going to come and walk along by your side. and You know, now, I don't know about you, but if I'm on the hill <laughs> and I hear that, um, it's all I need. And remember, for the community that gathered, they believed that was possible right there, right now. We as a church, we live that. That's why i tell you every you know look you can come to church you, you you can go to you you can stay home on sunday mornings you'll hear a better sermon and you may hear you won't hear better music but you hear a better sermon and you can stay in your pajamas and drink hot cocoa or whatever in the sanctuary because we're not allowed um but uh that's not why you come to church you come to church because of the community, and if you have experienced grief, you know the people who walked with you, and they were from your group of the church. They just were. Ask ask anyone who's a friend. When when your love died, church walked with you, your community. I mean, this is. I do funerals for people who don't have churches all the time. I get called by set of guests all the time. And I am amazed. And I don't know how people get through it without that community. Not that non-church people don't do good community, but there's a different bond. The koinonia is a fancy word. You know? Then, every once in a while, as pastor... You get to walk with somebody through their pain and their tragedy. Mm -hmm. Then you get to walk with them through the celebration as they find another love of their life. But it's all in community. Right, Sandy? None of it happened outside community. You lost Gary in community, and then you stumbled across this guy. (laughs) And then married him in community. And it wouldn't have been the same if we just, it wasn't the same if the three of us just did it. It's our secret. So that's what I believe. I do not believe God is telling us you should go around and be mourning and grieving all the time because you'd be a really fun person to be around. <laughs> I think Jesus is saying, look, if you're human, you're going to get a broken heart. And know that when you do, God is on your side and you're going to be comforted, not just from God, but from the community that has gathered with you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are mourned. Blessed are you who came tonight. And God will be on your side as we continue. Um, next week we won't meet. Spring break. Now, the real reason why we're not meeting is because to do two a night, I had to skip a week somewhere um, because there's too many weeks in Lent, Right? And there's not enough Beatitudes. And and I couldn't do like a whole hour on one Beatitude. I would drive myself crazy. Um, So we won't meet next week. And we'll send a reminder out. And then we'll do the next two. I don't know what the next two are. Anybody have their Bible open? What's the next two? Ah, blessed are those, the meek, for they shall get a fruit basket. (laughs) Oh, no, that's the persecuted. Did anyone read Biff? Good. Don't. I reread it this week, and and I went home and told Jill, and Jill said, you told what? You used Biff? Yeah, it was a moment of weakness. Um, Yeah. Those of you who missed last week, there's this great book by Christopher Moore, and uh, it's a, Biff is Jesus' best friend, boyhood, who's resurrected um, so that he could tell an angel in a hotel room who got uh, what the gospel really is, and the angel ended up getting addicted to WWE wrestling and didn't pay attention. To, it's, it's, all, it's all fiction. It's, 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 a, it's a fun story. And so in it are the Beatitudes, and they're making them. And And my favorite line, G, Jill just looks at me whenever I use it. It's my favorite line in the book. When when Biff turns to Jesus and says, so what are we going to do about the Beatitudes? And Jesus looks at him and says, Huh? What are those? Because they weren't called Beatitudes when Jesus, they were the blessings. We named them the Beatitudes because it sounds good. And, uh, and I just love that. I just picture Jesus saying, What? The Beatitudes, the what? And then they try to figure out what to give to people. And the meat got the earth. And so they were talking about the persecuted. And the persecuted, Jesus said, Hey, I know. Let's give them a fruit basket. <laughs> and <laughs> let's pray. Uh, God, we say thank you for today. Uh, we thank you that you are with us in good times and in bad, but we thank you for your spirit who um, walks beside us and fills us and, and loves us and embraces us and holds us tight. We give thanks for those who have come tonight and those who couldn't be here. We pray special blessing upon each and every one of us. May you fill our homes with love and with peace and with grace so that we may experience your kingdom your revolution here on earth. For it's in your Son's name we gather, and his holy name we pray, amen. Take care, be good, and we'll see you Sunday.